Tonight, a mass shooting in Toronto kills two and wounds 13. Why are the mainstream media trying to hide the shooter's links to Muslim terrorism, though? It's July 24th, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Thanks consumer so. I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. On Sunday night in the lovely Toronto neighborhood of the Danforth, lots of shops and restaurants and bars, lazy summer evening, a terrorist calmly walked down the street shooting everyone he could. He murdered a 10-year-old girl and an 18-year-old woman. That's a lot of shooting and a lot of hitting his targets. It went on for a very, very long time. He walked almost a quarter of a mile at a leisurely pace before he was finally stopped by police. Here's a quick video of the terrorist captured on someone's cell phone. He's on the sidewalk on the left. Take a look. Calm, cool, collected, not the style of a madman, the style of a trained killer, an assassin. I've read reports from firearms experts commenting on the style in which the terrorist held and fired his weapon, not in the manner of street gangs, but in the manner of law enforcement or military. I've read reports from eyewitnesses who say he was completely cool throughout. Were it not for the fact that he was shooting people, he'd be unremarkable in his demeanor. We don't yet have the minute-by-minute TikTok-style report, but clearly, he obviously reloaded his weapon. He was prepared. He was trained. As I mentioned, he was stopped and killed by police, but it took a while. But then they fairly quickly identified the killer. Police said he was known to police, uh, and his age, 29, was immediately published. But authorities declined to publish his name, too. Why? He's not a minor child. He has no privacy rights. He's dead in any event. But for some reason, authorities did not name him for a full day. That's odd, don't you think? And so for the next 24 hours, the discussion was somewhat unmoored. Toronto's feckless mayor, John Tory, really didn't have much to say. He never does. Under his watch, the murder rate has doubled. The murder rate in Toronto is now higher than the murder rate in New York City. Could you even imagine saying those words? But he's like Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, who brushes off all the murders and stabbings, and they've got acid attacks over there, too, and, of course, terrorism there, too. Sadiq Khan says it's just part and parcel of life in a big city, you know? Well, it's not true. It doesn't happen in, in Tokyo, does it? And not even in New York, as bad as Toronto. But then yesterday, in a move that can only be described as choreography... The police released the name of the terrorist, Faisal Hussein, a Muslim man, obviously. And immediately, simultaneously, a Muslim reporter at the CBC, Shanifa Nasser, with an Islamic studies degree, she published an unsigned letter purportedly from the terrorist family. But of course, it wasn't written by them, older Muslim migrants. Not this language. This was written by some professional PR person, maybe a journalist, maybe a political staffer, who knows? maybe Shanifa of the CBC herself, but it was remarkable how perfect the timing was. They obviously had it prepared and ready, so the moment the terrorist was named, with his Muslim name, instantly the counter-narrative was grafted onto it. The message from the family being, no, 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 nothing to do with Islam, they don't even use the word, it's just 
mental illness that he had struggled with his entire life, as if people with mental illness go out and, and just naturally shoot people. Now, it could be that this was some psychotic episode, but we don't have that from the family directly. We have it from some unsigned document served up by the state broadcaster, and they won't discuss the provenance of that document. Who, who wrote it? When did they get it? From whom did they get it? Why did they wait to release it with such perfect timing? Is there any corroboration for the facts? And it was Faisal Hussain, in fact, struggling with mental issues, or did they just make that up? And even if he was struggling about mental issues, what about the reports that he was known to police? That's what police said. And that CSIS was involved. CSIS doesn't get involved if you're just depressed. Joe Warmington, the reporter for the Toronto Sun, says law enforcement sources say Hussein had made trips to Afghanistan and Pakistan and that he consumed ISIS propaganda online. No, 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 forget all that. He's, he's mentally ill, people. Just leave it at that. Actually, the CBC didn't even leave it at that. They went from being 100% championing the murder victims, Toronto Strong, to 100% championing the terrorist. It was like they just flipped, just switched sides. Look at this. This is another report from Shanifa Nasser of the CBC. Let me quote. He had a million dollar smile. She's talking about the terrorist here, not, not his victims. The CBC is talking about how wonderful a person the terrorist was. Here's another CBC propaganda piece. The terrorist was polite, humble. They're really doing this. They're really whitewashing the murderer. The murder victims aren't even buried yet. The CBC has switched sides. Now, the Toronto Star put their investigative reporter on the case. Okay, good. They've got some good investigative reporters over there at the Toronto Star, whatever else you think of them. Look at the headline. What drove Toronto shooting suspect to unleash violence on the Danforth? That is a good question. Was it terrorism? If so, was it homegrown terrorism? Did he practice being a terrorist overseas? How did he get that gun? That's a restricted handgun. It's not like getting a hunting rifle or shotgun. Did he have what's called an RPAL? That's a restricted possession and acquisition license. To get one of those, you need to do a deep background check. They call your family. I mean, someone who has a lifetime of mental illness, you're not going to get a handgun. That anonymous memo about lifetime psychotic depression, you're not going to get a gun. So how did he get the gun? Where did he get the training? He was obviously trained. Joe Warmington's article in The Sun said Hussein regularly met up near his house with up to 20 friends. Now, that's fine. Were they just friends, though? Or are they a group of people planning and plotting things together? Was this a lone wolf or part of a team, a pack? So what did the investigative reporter for the Toronto Star say? Well, let me quote. Hussein also shared a characteristic in common with many mass murderers, one that has received particular attention in the wake of a string of explicitly misogynistic attacks. He was male. <laughs> Sorry, that, that's, that's, your, that's your deep investigation. That's why he did it. He was male. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with Islam, people. He's just a toxic man. Let me quote some more. So, for example, if a man is passed over for a job, say, and the job is given to a woman, he may feel like that woman stole his job, but it was never actually even his to begin with. My God, did that, did that just happen? Is that what happened to Faisal Hussein? Did some woman steal his job? So he, is that why he killed two women? No, that was just some hypothetical 
situation that the Toronto Star published, something that explicitly did not happen because they actually don't want to talk about what did happen. They want to talk about something else that didn't happen that they can explain away that other thing without criticizing Islam or open border immigration or terrorism or unworkable multiculturalism. They literally had their investigative reporter call up some professors to get them to do some feminist rant about some hypothetical killer instead of investigating the actual killer. The words Islam and Muslim and terrorist appear nowhere in that Toronto Star story. Instead, they, they actually wrote this, the way society tells boys from a young age they need to be in control to be the hero and never back down. That's what they're, that's what they're blaming here. Is that, is that what happened? And that's the Toronto Star. That's the biggest newspaper in the country in terms of readership. But I've been asking some questions on Twitter. I've been thinking about it, talking to folks. And I, I've just been thinking out loud. And, um, and then this reporter from the Toronto Star, Jennifer Pagliaro, told me to delete my, my questions. Ezra, this kind of fear-mongering is unacceptable. It is disgusting. You won't, it, it, it won't be tolerated. You should delete it immediately and apologize. Holy cow. Now, I was asking about the CBC's curious timing to release the pre-written anonymous statement saying, oh, nothing to see here. At the precise moment, the murderer's name was revealed. I asked questions like, who wrote that memo? Is it real? Just basic factual questions for which there are basic answers. I mean, there might be perfectly innocuous answers or there might be concerning answers, but all of that is wrong think, according to the star. And it's not enough that I be criticized. I must delete those bad thoughts. And look at the words again. Look at this again. Disgusting, unacceptable, intolerable, fear-mongering. No, no, it's just journalism. But what's odd is the mainstream media is full of rage. Those are rageful words, rage towards me. Not rage towards the terrorists. They were calling the terrorist a humble, polite man with a million dollar smile. They were calling me names, full of rage, for asking questions and telling me to censor myself. A, a fellow journalist from a rival publication telling me to stop asking questions? Yeah, no, we're still a little bit free in Canada, at least a little bit. I, I wanna know how that guy got a gun. I wanna know where he got his executioner style training. I wanna know what his relationship with the police and CSIS was. I want to know if he did indeed go to Afghanistan and Pakistan and what he did there and who he met there. I want to know what his parents really knew. I want to know what professional spin doctor grafted themselves onto the family to issue that spin statement. I wanna know who else was in on that, whether it was the CBC or a politician or even the police. I want to know what other threats we have around the country. I want to know if, in fact, Faisal Hussein was a terrorist somewhere else and we let him back in. One of those ISIS terrorists, maybe, that Justin Trudeau says have a powerful voice that we need to hear. So, no, sorry, I'm not going to be shushed by the Toronto Star or the dozens of CBC government journalists who chimed in after the star to the same effect. Look, we're just tiny here at The Rebel, but we will ask real questions otherwise. I mean, really, what's the point? Stay with us for more.
Welcome back and joining me now is our friend David Menzies, who immediately upon the identity of the terrorist being revealed, went down to his home and he joins us now here in studio. Great to see you, David. Great to be with you, Ezra. Well, thanks for going down there. Tell me about the neighborhood where the terrorist Faisal Hussein lives. Tell me what the, the demographics are like, what the people are like, and who you met. Well, you know, it's very funny, Ezra. This is a neighborhood um, that if you walk within walking distance of his building was the first uh, mini mosque in a school board, uh, Valley Park Middle School, right? That's where they turn the cafeteria into a mosque every Friday. Right. It's a public school, like yes. a government school. The, the gender apartheid mosque, as it's being called. And a further walk along, you'll come to a community center, publicly funded by the taxpayer, which is home of what I call the Sharia swim. That's where I did the caper when I went in as a trans woman to see if I could swim with the regular Muslim woman. Uh, but um, so basically- so It's a ghetto, it's a Muslim ghetto. It is, for lack of a better term. And, and what I, I would um, put money on this, you will not see more burqas and niqabs in a like five kilometer square radius than Thorncliffe Park. Hmm. Um, you like when you watch the the video that Efren shot, you, you'll see in the periphery uh, just people walking by in the full face covering. So it's definitely going back, say, 50, 60 years ago. It's gone through a demographic change, 100 percent. And it is also interesting enough, uh, Ezra, part of Kathleen Wynne's writing, the hmm. ex-premier of Ontario, right? Hmm. And um, you know, so and I bring Kathleen Wynne into this because I think the way the narrative has gone here is that there's, there seems to be aching political correctness, you know, going into uh, who the shooter was, what his motive was. Um, it really got my spidey senses tingling, Ezra, that for 20 hours, the police knew this man's name and they withheld it. And one of the explanations is that we're consulting with the family. Well, hang on. Um, double homicide, uh, injuring 13 others. When when do you consult with the, the gunman's family? Um, yeah, I've, ne I've never heard of that uh, <laughs> ever before. I mean, there are mass shootings all the time. Uh, the idea, stop everything, the real person we have to, I mean, why didn't they consult with the victim's families? Why are you consulting? That, that's so bizarre and so political and so not standard police practice. We're consulting with the murderer's family? Well, I've never even heard that before. Either have I. And Ezra, I can only think of one reason, one valid reason. Well, yeah. Is this your son? Yes, it is. Yeah. Positive identification? Right. Yeah. Gonna, but that would take, what, 10 seconds? Yeah. Not 20 hours. Yeah. And then well, when and, they... But let me stop you there. And yeah. they identified him. Yes. Uh, but then they kept it secret for a full day after. So we, we know that it didn't take them a day to do that. They identified Correct. them very quickly. They kept it secret after that. What were they consulting about? You know what? Um, here's what I think. Given the timeline, Ezra, the chronology, when we finally got a name within about an hour, I'm estimating, we got that polished PR, like almost from Hill and Knowlton statement yeah. from an elderly Muslim uh, family, yeah. uh, you know, saying about the, the history of mental illness and uh, schizophrenia and, and what have you. And the way it was written, it was so polished that mm. I'm not buying this. I don't think this came well, from you. And it wasn't signed. Yeah. So who who actually is allegedly behind? Like that's a weird, If a piece of paper comes from the family, but we don't know who the family is, we don't, did the family send it to the reporters or did some middleman send it to the reporters or did a politician send it to the reporters or did the police or did the, the, the CBC itself cook it up? And those aren't conspiratorial questions. They're just, 
questions. And it seems like you're not allowed to ask any questions because, as you suggested, when police are consulting with the murderer's family, all your priorities are upside down now. It's not get to the truth, it's obscure the truth. It's not flesh out all the facts about the murderer, it's obscure all the facts about the murderer because yeah. he is Muslim. I think you're right. I think, Ezra, I'm only speculating here, but if he was a guy that looked like me and had named Duncan McDonald, mm -hmm. uh, right, they'd be running to a mic saying white uh, male gunman. And I bring in uh, Kathleen Wynne because, as you remember, that horrible, tragic Pulse nightclub shooting in 2016, Ezra. And she had a press conference, and this is where 49 mostly gay men were killed. Mm -hmm. um, and her statement, uh, which to me was the jump the shark no sharknado moment in terms of political correctness, Islamophobia uh, cannot, oh, sorry, homophobia cannot be fought with Islamophobia. Well, hang on. 49 gay men murdered in cold blood yeah, who are you uh, by a jihadi? Who are you calling an Islamophobe? Yeah, and when she said that in public um, to all these white liberals, the usual suspects, it was almost like a standing ovation, yeah. right? You know, what, what's so weird is the CBC, I mean, the, the whole world was Danforth, strong Toronto, strong, yeah. we'll get over this. It was, you know, it was... Uh, victimology and it was worthless other than a sentimentality, but at least it was sentimentality in support of the victims. The minute the attacker was identified as Muslim, forget the victims. Oh, yeah. This is about the poor family. Yeah, yeah, no, The I'm CBC thinking... called him polite, humble, respectful, million dollar smile. The CBC has been whitewashing this terrorist. What about the family of uh, Reese Fallon, the 18 year old who just graduated uh, Malvern Collegiate uh, Ezra and was gonna go to McMaster to become a nurse to save lives ostensibly. Yeah. What about her family? What about the family of the 10 year old girl? We still don't have her name. And, and here's the added element of that tragedy. Can you imagine her poor father who is um, in hospital recovering from life-saving surgery? And when he comes out of that, you, someone's got to say, by the way, your 10-year-old, yeah. you know, the, the angel of your life has been killed. And all of a sudden, we have to think, oh, think of the family of the gunman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's perverse. You know what? Uh, Joe Warmington of the Toronto Sun has been doing great reporting on this. You were down there. I think you saw Joe. Great guy. You're doing great reporting. We're asking the questions we can. But all the official media, the media yeah. party, as I call it, the CBC with their unlimited resources, the Global Mail, CTV, Global News, Post Media, with the exception of The Sun, they're all in cover-up mode. And it's so bizarre because I just saw a story on CBS News. Yeah. And I'm learning more from an American network than I am from the CBC because I think the news is out there, the facts are out there. But the Canadian media is positively unreporting, anti-reporting, disreporting this story. Well, Ezra, it's what I've said for a long time. If there's anything worse than state censorship, it's self-censorship. And look, if I'm with one of these media outlets, right, we just saw a guy last week uh, for making you know, a morning show host in Winnipeg, uh, you know, Dan Wheeler, Dave Wheeler, rather, who lost his job making a joke about uh, a transgendered person. Um, if you, if the politically correct Kool-Aid means this is all about the religion of peace and don't go, don't play the Islam card. You know, you think I'm going to put my neck out on the yeah. line in a sunset industry where jobs yeah. are for, for few and far oh, between? It's unbelievable for me you know. to see that, I mean, there, I, I showed it earlier, some Toronto Star reporter said, delete my questions immediately. And I thought, what? I, I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, no. the city reporter for the Toronto Star. I was asking questions about the timing of, uh, of the alleged letter from the family. 
and then his, I just had some questions, and this Toronto Star reporter just says, delete that tweet, it's very offensive, it's outrageous. And I, and I thought, normally, um, they're not that bold. Normally, they just censor themselves. And, and they, <laughs> but they can't stand anyone breaking formation. They, it's truly scary to me because Gerald Butts and Justin Trudeau and, and um, Katrina Gould, a, a liberal MP, and others have basically said, uh, no, no dissident voices, dissident voices, no dissenters. Yep. They've shut down parody accounts. Yes. I mean, they truly want to stop unapproved political commentary, including on pressing and urgent matters of public policy, such as a terrorist crime. And David, as long as the rebel lives, we will ask the questions that the people want answered. And we'll accept the answers yeah. if, if they're acceptable. There, there may be a very acceptable answer to some of the questions you and I have posed here today, but so far we've been stonewalled, and I think, uh, as my friend Tommy Robinson would say, it's a stitch up. And yes. we're not going to bend the knee to Gerald Butts or the politically, politically correct mayor or police chief. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, before they released the name, Ezra, there was a closed door uh, meeting for hours between Mayor John Tory, uh, Chief Saunders, the police officer, Bill Blair, the, the, you know, the, the new cabinet minister uh, responsible for crime and uh, border security. And um, it was almost the vibe I got, Ezra, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, yeah. I don't buy into that. But the vibe I got was it's like three guys um, sort of saying, how do we spin this? Yeah, they're uh, all, and they're yeah. all liberals or liberal appointees. Yeah. Was the provincial PCs there? Were Doug Ford's people in that meeting? Uh, good question. I think at one point Doug Ford was in a closed door meeting. Okay, about, I'd like yeah. to know because, okay. because it sounds, I mean, if, if this is just all folks who are all politically correct together, and I'm not saying Doug Ford might not be politically correct yeah. too, we're independent here, so we ask questions on behalf of our viewers, and we follow the facts wherever they lead. Right. Now, it, it might be that this just was someone mentally ill who managed to get a firearm, uh, uh, who managed to get training and calmly and coolly executioner style go down uh, the street. It might be just a bunch of coincidences and someone mentally ill. It might be. Uh, but there's all other uh, hypotheses that we need to vet, too. And we're going to keep doing that. Last word to you, David. Uh, last word is, Ezra, is this going to be the so-called new normal when there is a Muslim gunman that the default position is either going to be mental illness or lone wolf? That's what it seems to be. Uh, you know, sort of disassociating the idea that this person is part of a radical Islamic group such as ISIS. If that is the truth, then why can't we have the truth? Why, and, and also, I'm, I know that they're saying a history of mental illness. Can we get some proof of that? Can we get a doctor yeah. on? Because I know the how, oh, his privacy. You can't violate his privacy he's a dead like man. that. He's a dead he's man, dead, and right? he's a murderer. You know? He doesn't yeah. have any privacy rights. Well, I tell you, David, this is frustrating, but yeah. it's moments like these yeah. where the value of the rebel is proved yeah. because the entire mass of the media, except our friend Joe Warmington and Correct. the Sun, is on the other side. Yeah. And it's moments like these that the rebel counts. And thanks for going down there last night. My pleasure, you. sir. There you have it. It's our friend David Menzies, who went down there on a moment's notice and went to the home of the terrorist killer and saw it's a little enclave of niqabs and hijabs. I can just bet what the politics is there, too. Maybe we'll find out. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back. Well, I see in the newspaper today, the Calgary Herald, that the Manning Center 
is closing its doors. They've laid off most of their staff. They're putting at least part of their building up for lease, basically shutting down everything except their conferences. And it wouldn't surprise me if that happens too. And I can't help but think that it comes from Preston Manning's unconservative decision to support a carbon tax or a carbon levy, as he told liberals to call it, to sneak its way through conservatives. Well, it never did sneak its way through conservatives. It was tough enough selling a carbon tax when Alberta was booming, but now that it's economically hurting from a carbon tax, well, that's just poison. It's strange to me why any conservative thought that would be a saleable position, but until quite recently, it was the fashionable thing to say, green conservatism was supposedly a thing. Well, then this man was elected the leader of Ontario's Conservatives and became Premier. Take a look at Doug Ford just letting her rip on a carbon tax. Today, I want to confirm that in Ontario, the carbon taxes days are numbered. In fact, upon the swearing in of my new cabinet, at the top of our agenda, the very first item will be to pass an order to cancel the Liberal cap-and-trade carbon tax. As of June the 29th, the cap-and-trade, the carbon tax, they're gone, they're done. Well, I used to like Doug Ford, but now I gotta say, folks, it's love. Joining us now via Skype is our friend Brad Trost, a federal conservative MP for the riding of Saskatoon University. He joins us now via Skype. Brad, great to see you again. You've been a longtime opponent of the carbon tax for a variety of reasons, political, economic. You're a scientist by background. Uh, tell me what you think of this pendulum swinging back so boldly. I mean, I think six months ago, the carbon tax felt like a done deal. Now I wouldn't bet on it at all. Well, I think it's a good thing. I think the one of the best things is when you listen to Ontario, as they've repealed it, more and more news stories are coming out about how the real purpose of the cap and trade carbon tax they had in Ontario was just to spend and buy money and buy votes. And we're hearing one story after another of various groups that got money from this tax grab, this tax grab on consumers' wallets, and they're complaining now that the taps are being turned off. So I'm quite optimistic. A lot of voters suspected it was just a cash grab moralistically sold to them to make them feel good about turning over their money. But with Ontario offside, uh, I'm uh, pretty optimistic that Manitoba and a couple other provinces may rethink their positions. Yeah, it's interesting to me to watch Catherine McKenna, the global warming minister, squawk about it. Her chief complaints about Ontario stopping the carbon tax and the cap and trade are all her crony capitalist insider friends who now won't be giving getting subsidies for wind and solar and other schemes that have no economic value in them other than they are rent-seeking, a term an economist would use for basically asking for a hand. It's very bizarre to me that her counterpunch to Doug Ford is on these elite business people not getting their, you know, six or seven-figure dollar subsidy. It really reveals it just to be a slush fund for insiders. That's how it looks to me. Well, the carbon tax often ends up being a tax on the poor to subsidize the rich. It's interesting to listen to the progressives always talk about how they're in favor of the poor. Well, they make the poor poor, and that's why uh, they talk about then spending the money because they've taken it away in the first place. So it's, it's fascinating to watch. It's one of the reasons I think you're increasingly seeing places not just like North America, but overseas as well. Working class voters are really fed up with the left, 
and are voting for someone who's actually going to defend their jobs and actually defend uh, their pocketbooks. You know, if you want to work for a living, you have to spend energy and to produce goods, you need uh, fuel. Yeah. You know, um, it was, I, I thought it would be impossible to stop a carbon tax once it gets momentum, but Australia proved it was true. Saskatchewan, where you're an MP from, has always been against uh, the carbon tax, both under Brad Wall and under the new premier. But I'm looking around the country, and Alberta obviously will be anti-carbon tax when Jason Kenney's the premier next year. We see Doug Ford, just all systems go. We see now that New Brunswick is trying to tell Trudeau, well, we've already got a carbon tax. It's called a gasoline tax. So um, we're done. Thanks very much. We don't need another one. I, I just see news that Prince Edward Island, they're, uh, they're saying they're only going to tax industrial emitters, and that being a, a tiny province, really no bigger than the university I went to. They only have one industrial emitter called Cavendish Farms. So they'll probably get a, a grant. So everyone is slowly backing away from the disaster that is the Trudeau carbon tax. I really think, if I had to bet... I think the thing's going to be stopped. I mean, when you've got liberals like New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island that are like liberal forever, saying no thanks, um, they're obviously not scared anymore. Because, I mean, when Trudeau was new and fresh and, and high in the polls, he was scary to those liberal premiers. I don't think they're scared anymore. Am I wrong? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I'm out here in Newfoundland uh, this week talking to voters, not just about this issue, but uh, other issues. And I don't hear anyone going around saying the price of gasoline is too low. Make it two bucks a liter. That just uh, doesn't uh, that isn't something that you hear. I drove out to a community two and a half hours uh, outside of, of the city here last night to talk to some people. And uh, it costs money. If you're a fisherman in Newfoundland, it is expensive to fuel your boats, to drive to and from where you need to go to live. Um, people just can't afford this. And energy is one of the inputs to life. It's not like an income tax, it's money after that you've produced. Income tax is bad enough, but the carbon tax takes your money before you even earn income. And that's what makes it even harder for uh, people to deal with than just about anything else. Yeah. Well, I, I sure am optimistic about it. And when it was just Saskatchewan, I thought, geez, I love Saskatchewan, but they're a smallish province, just just over a million folks. That's a And it's forgotten country for the mainstream media which are based in Toronto but I feel like the battle has been joined and let me credit you as one of the Saskatchewanites who's been fighting against this since the first day thank you for holding the line until reinforcements have arrived I think we're going to win this one Brad it's great to talk to you again Good to see you, Ezra, and keep up the good work. Thanks very much. Well, there you have it. Brad Trost is the Conservative Party MP for the Saskatchewan riding of Saskatoon University. He joined us today from Newfoundland. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back. I'm in monologue yesterday about Tommy Robinson's appeal and the lies about him from the UK media. Liza writes, good job, Ezra. Welcome back. I bet Tommy and his family were darn glad you were there reporting the truth. I know we were. Well, thanks very much. Um, I, uh, I, I saw his folks at court and they're so cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was nice. To, I mean, they're, they're pretty private people, as you can imagine. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was great to see them. Uh, Lloyd writes, 
Good show, Ezra. Are you, you are going to be super busy this week, what with the impending release of Tommy and the Islamic attack in Toronto. Well, I gave you some of my thoughts uh, earlier in the show and the reaction to it by the media party telling me to delete my tweets and shut up and I'm despicable for asking fairly basic questions. No, no, I don't think I'm going to comply with them. But yeah, I am going to hop back over to London when we know when that appeal uh, will be released. Now, the judges said it would be by the end of July, which is coming up pretty soon. So, um, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to leave until we know what day the results are in. Now, it's a seven-hour flight from Toronto, and i got to book the ticket and get to the airport and whatever, so I hope that I'll have enough notice to get there on time, but I just can't go there and wait over there. i gotta, I got to work here. On my interview with Sheila Gunn-Reed, Jonathan writes, after seeing those sorry excuses of Canadian flags at Camp Cloud, I just want to cry. They need to be taken down and simply burned. Not even worth repairing at that point. What a disgusting sight. I'm not sure the proper protocol of what to do with an old flag. Do you burn them or do you bury them? Now, that's being very, you know, uh, etiquette-oriented. I don't know what the right thing is, but they're just generally gross. And I hope you've been tuning into the rest of Sheila's reports from there. You can find them at rebelburnaby.com. Paul writes, These idiot protesters will not comply with any orders as long as they face no real consequences for their actions. Absolutely, and they know they will not face consequences from the mayor of Burnaby, who has effectively said he's one of them, and he's sued against the pipeline. From the premier of BC, who uh, is against the pipeline. From Justin Trudeau, who is against the pipeline in reality, and who in fact ordered his former uh, energy minister, Jim Carr, to retract when he said he would have the army enforce the law if necessary. The police have been ordered to, if not stand down, be as lenient as possible and only apply the most minor charges. And the courts have too. Remember, two members of parliament were convicted of breach of a, con uh, of a restraining order. Uh, Elizabeth May was one of them. What was her sentence? A lawmaker, an MP, breaking a court order, uh, illegally protesting on Kinder Morgan property, $500 fine. There's speeding tickets, there's probably parking tickets close to that. When a member of parliament gets away with a tiny slap on the wrist like that, and probably fundraises off of that, um, yeah, these protesters know they're safe. I knew they would be. That's why we had Sheila go out there, because I knew that that eviction would not be followed. It won't be. Well, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. It's not enjoyable watching this Toronto terror attack. What's interesting to me is Justin Trudeau has had another personal day. He was, this terrorist attack happened Sunday night. Monday, he took a personal day. Today, he took a personal day. And I mean, if this was George W. Bush or Donald Trump hiding in the face of a horrific crime like that, there'd be calls for their impeachment. But Justin Trudeau, don't bother him. Maybe the media know he would just put his foot in his mouth and they're just doing it to protect him. Yeah, Justin, you stay away from the cameras. Well, until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom.